0: It's not about figuring out what's good or bad. I think that's the way people always think about it. Like, okay, I've got to figure out what's good wine or what's the good way to serve wine or good glasses or all that. It's about figuring out what you like. I tell people all this all the time. I've been doing um, small group wine tastings in my home for about 20 years now where I get together a group of like 10 to 12 people and like six wines and we all taste them. And sometimes it's experts, sometimes it's laymen, sometimes it's all sorts of people. And at the end, my final question before I tell anybody the prices is always, which wine did you like? Which wine didn't you like? And the thing I've learned is that there is never agreement. There's always a wine that one person loves and the other person doesn't. So if you're always trying to figure out, like, what's good wine and how do I learn what is good wine, you're going to miss out on the best part, which is what do you like? So you just got to figure that out.
1: Welcome to Her Drive Podcast, a female-focused interview series with women of the world discussing their road trips to success. I'm your host, Cindy Kramblatt, a travel expert, business owner, and curious spirit with a knack for meeting fascinating women. Please join me as I hop in the passenger seat and chat with these ambitious women about what drives them, twists and turns, and those pedal-to-the-metal moments. Let's drive. Welcome everybody to another episode of Her Drive Podcast. I am so thrilled for today's guest. One because it allowed for me to tap back into my love of wine, and I did so very <laughs> heavily <laughs> last night with with one of my friends who was visiting Miami, and um, we were drinking Greek wines. And I was talking to him about this this uh, this conversation that I was planning to have with Dini today and what her expertise is. in. so of course my friend, like any good friend enabled me to drink lots and
0: lots and lots of wine.
1: So <laughs> thank you so much. <laughs> well, welcome Dini. How are you? you? I'm
0: doing really well. You. I'm happy to be here. well. I'm happy to be here.
1: Great. So, um, uh, for everyone who's listening, Dini has this amazing, um presence uh online her uh, her real name is or her full name is okay. Dini Rao but her specialty is in wine and she has this amazing bio um went to Harvard business school launched and helped raise um a company called Lot 18 and helped Amazon start a wine business and what i think is really fascinating about you, Dini, um is that you were able to taste wine that was used to toast the Declaration of
0: Independence, which
1: I'm a huge history nerd, and I just think that is so amazing.
0: How was that? That was incredible. That was incredible. You know, every time, it, of course, I love the taste of, of wine, but it's even cooler when, as you say, it can really transport you to another time, and you can think about the people who would have been drinking this and what their lives were like. It's, it's a really cool aspect of wine.
1: Most definitely. And when you were um, tasting this wine, uh, how did you get access to
0: to it? <laughs> I know this is one of the coolest things about working in wine auctions. So when I worked at Christie's Auction House, you would go in and you would have all these collections of bottles of very, very old wines, oftentimes. And in order to make sure that the wines are authentic, or at least that they're not fakes, um, and to show that they're all in good condition, we would actually open some of the bottles (laughs) and we would taste them. And so that was always one of the most exciting parts for me is, you know, doing the research, understanding where this bottle of wine came from, what its story is, all that. And then actually opening some of them and tasting for ourselves to be able to tell the buyers, hey, this is good juice.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I absolutely love that. And I think maybe I chose the wrong of (laughs) Pat. (laughs) <laughs> well, speaking of, you know, opening up um, and transporting back through time, I would love to kind of have your story be told in the way that um, you like to tell it from, you know, what inspired you to to get into wine, into hosting and to become a sommelier and, you know, what has led you to where you are now. So can you kind of start us off with kind of the genesis of of your story yeah
0: sure it's um it's a fun story because there was wine involved (laughs) and all the stuff but um you know i grew up my mother is a college professor And she would always invite over her students, especially those who lived far away. She would invite them over for holidays, for weekends, for dinners, and things like that. So for me, our household and our table was always really lively. And I loved that growing up. I loved that we could have these fascinating conversations and learn about people and connect with people. So to me, I think the concept of the table and meals was always really important. And then when I was in high school I would also be my mom's taste tester in the kitchen so she's a great cook <laughs> She's <laughs> a great cook, but we would also call her the absent-minded professor because sometimes she, she would forget to do something, and so I would taste her dishes and I'd say, "Oh, mom, you forgot to toast the cumin," or you know, like this is missing or that's missing, and it was yeah. our little game in the kitchen. So that lent itself really well to wine tasting, which I discovered when we were visiting colleges in Boston. We drove through the Finger Lakes region of New York, upstate New York, and stopped at a winery. Which, you know, my family was not really into wine. We're Indians. It's not like um, we're we're big drinkers or anything like that. But we happened to stop at a winery and I just fell in love. I was like, oh my gosh, this is history. This is geography. This is culture. This is farming and people and all these things in one profession. And so I told my mom then at the age of 17, I was like, I'm going to work in the wine business for the rest of my life. Wow. And she was like, what do you know? You're 17 years old. How could you know? You know, we had a little joke about it. But, um, but really since then, I just found every job I could in the wine field. I started out working in wine retail, which is like the boot camp of wine because you, you taste so many different things from all over, but you also work really hard. I worked at a winery. I worked, it's a sommelier at a restaurant, you know, worked at Christie's auctions and then really eventually specialized in trying to bring wine to more people or the love of wine to more people. That's why I decided Mm -hmm. it was really my passion. And that's why I went to work at Amazon. You know, when I graduated Harvard Business School, I had this option of, do I go to Christie's and specialize in really rare, magnificent, expensive bottles? (laughs) Or do I go to Amazon and help them start a wine program to bring wine to many, many more people? To bring the love of wine to many, many more people, and I chose that. I said, you know, if there's one thing I'm going to do full time and really focus my career on, I really want to help people discover more of wine, but not necessarily wine just as a subject area, but that like joie de vivre you can have in life, that the joy of being at the table and connecting with other people. That to me was kind of all tied together. So that's what I specialized. (laughs) yes (laughs) and um and so from amazon after helping them then i helped a company raise 50 million dollars you know venture capital and we started a company called lot 18 um and all along the way i was learning a lot i was you know trying a lot and we failed a lot you know amazon shut down their wine business the lot 18 business never really turned into what we wanted it to be and I kept thinking, you know, there's something missing from all of these wine conversations I've had in these businesses. We've had a lot of money. We've had a lot of resources. I mean, talk about all of Amazon's resources to right. into wine, but we were always looking at it from a very analytical standpoint. It was always mm-hmm. a lot of men <laughs> sitting around in boardrooms, mm-hmm. having discussions about how to ship boxes. Um, and I was like, you know, this just doesn't strike me as the best way to fulfill my vision of helping more people, especially women, connect. And that's the way I see people drinking wine. And yet that's not in any of the conversations about selling wine to people. So I thought, "Mm, maybe I should do this myself.
1: I think that's really beautiful. And Um, It's, it is fascinating that there can be so many different resources available to these companies and, and something not succeed (laughs) and to find out that you're missing that, that human component, right. Mm -hmm. Um, And putting the love back into, back into the, the, the drinking of the wine, the celebration of it all. I think we need more ceremony in our lives. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And Perhaps you're opening with what you're doing uh, with your YouTube channels and your Facebook page. Um, you're very much allowing people to remove their fears of of choosing a bottle of wine, helping to educate them a little bit so that they can be better hosts and hostess. And um, I don't know how I want how I want to say this, but um, Thanks. Yeah, I, I guess for me, like, I don't have a fear of hosting. I too grew up in a family with a mom, I should be more specific, who brought all of us, I have four siblings, all of us into the kitchen. Wow. We cooked with her, like, we would choose what meals we wanted to make. Uh, my mom wasn't into alcohol, didn't drink at all at the time. So, we didn't have alcohol in our lives, but there was never a fear of the kitchen. So, that transcended beyond the kitchen for me. And I don't really have a fear in life of trying new things and I want to experience new things. So, whenever I was first introduced to wine, it was like a really horrible boxed wine in college, (laughs) (laughs) Halloween night. And (laughs) like, we, I mean, we're underage. I'm I'm telling on myself, but my. Like shove the boxed wine beneath their costume so we could walk across <laughs> campus to the frat house. You know, <laughs> like it wasn't good wine, but it was an introduction. And then very soon thereafter, I started to to drink a lot of different wines and um was dating somebody in wine retail, like you said, is the boot camp. And he had all of these great, like half bottles left over from tastings at the store that he would bring back, and I would get to try try them all. And mm. Um, with that knowledge of the wine then came the knowledge of different cheese. And then I noticed on your YouTube channel, you had, uh, you did an episode on honeycomb Mm -hmm. and how all of these beautiful things pair together and you take time to, you know, cut the cheese and create like the, the cheese board or the charcuterie. And then what do you, what do you put with it? And there's the ceremony, at least for me, when I'm hosting something of putting it all together um, and it's very meditative in a way. And then also the ceremony of watching your friends and, and family or whomever you're hosting actually enjoy the fruits of, of your effort. Um,
0: that is at least
1: for me, very special. I
0: love that. I love how you describe that because that is essentially, you know, forget about whether it's through the wine or the food or whatever it is, but that outcome is exactly what I'm aiming for and to help more people do. And even if there are folks like you who feel comfortable doing it and do it from time to time, it's like, okay, how can we even take that into our day-to-day lives and do it more often to celebrate moments, to feel more alive, to feel more present? You know, if we can do all of that, um, then I think it's a real win.
1: Um, I 100% agree with you and I'm, I'm curious as far as I, you know, really interested in, in your personal story and and what your rituals are. Do you have anything that you do daily or weekly?
0: I, well, one, two of the things I do daily, um, are, I don't know if you're a big bullet journaler or, know about bullet journaling, but you know, I do a journal um, that's really helped me stay in tune because so much of what I'm trying to do now is, um, like a creation from self. And I think the way I stay on track of that is I've got to stay in touch with my intuition and my values. So I use the journal to just every day, stay right on target, you know, stay super focused on mm-hmm. what is it I'm trying to create and what are the top priorities given that. Um, so I've really made a ritual of that. So I check in with that every morning and I check in with it every evening. Um, I have another ritual where I pause for a moment at noon every day. I have a little alarm set on my phone and I pause and I just have a moment of reflection. And I wish I did Uh this throughout the day. (laughs) Yeah, I wish I did this like 10 times Uh a day, but at least once a day, especially when you've got two little kids running around, um, has actually been really profound me. It's been really helpful in becoming more present. Um, Mm -hmm. and then of course the other thing is just, it's a moment too, especially if I'm with my kids to just like take in the beauty of their ages, that precious moment that we have right now and just like really enjoy them and enjoy my life.
1: That's beautiful. So before you had children and, um, a partner, I assume, Mm -hmm. um, Kind of you know, where where were you raised? You said that you're Indian Mm -hmm. Um but culturally. Were you born in India? Were you born in the States? I was born
0: in Ohio. I was born in Ohio of all
1: places. (laughs) Oh, I'm from
0: Ohio. Oh my gosh, I didn't know you. That's crazy. Where?
1: Um I'm from the eastern side of Ohio. Um near the closest city is Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. So the country.
0: (laughs) What about (laughs) you? Me too. I'm from Worcester, Ohio, northeastern Ohio. Uh
1: Yes, of course. I know exactly where Worcester is. That's
0: so funny. <laughs> so yeah, I don't know about you, but people always say to me, like, "Okay, how did this girl from Ohio end up in wine at Christie's auction house and doing things like this?" But I think it for me, it all fits together because, like you, probably I was surrounded by agriculture and farming. Um, And you get really in touch with the land and what that's like and just the beauty of the farmland. And so vineyards to me feel totally at home. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think there's also something really nice about people from the Midwest, that folksiness, that coming together and supporting each other whenever somebody has a baby, everybody takes over food and, you know, there's like real community. So I think I bring that to my New York City home and neighborhood. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> they're so lucky to have you. <laughs> <Try>. <laughs> I tell everyone, I'm like, Ohio girls are the
0: best. <laughs> yes. We're so friendly. <laughs> yeah. We, we,
1: I, I definitely think that we are. Um, wow. That's, that's such a funny coincidence. Yeah. So you were raised in Ohio. Where did you go to undergrad?
0: I went to undergrad at a school called Babson college, which is just outside of Boston. And there mm-hmm. they specialize in entrepreneurial studies. So Mm -hmm. I knew even before I went to college that I wanted to start my own business. I wanted to start my own wine businesses in life. Like that's what I wanted to do. And I already knew that then, luckily. And so I went to this really cool school that allowed us to, from day one, we would start our own business. Um, It was a very experiential school and an awesome experience. And it's also where I happened to meet my husband. So I'm very grateful for Mm -hmm. that.
1: That's beautiful. So how did your vision kind of, when you were starting school and you started your business like first day, um, how has that vision and the businesses changed over time and where do you see yourself
0: moving forward? Oh my gosh, that's such a great question because, you know, in so many ways it's changed so much. I think Mm -hmm. back then the goal was very much about like, okay, how do I make a lot of money? (laughs) <laughs> I want to start a business <laughs> that can make a lot of money, that can be really successful, you know, because growing up in an Indian household, you're really all trained towards like, how can I be as successful as possible? Mm-hmm. Um, and now it's so, so different. I mean, of course I want to be able to create something that's sustaining and sustaining for my family and my life, but, um, the goal and the tool of entrepreneurship for me is now totally focused on like, how do I create something really meaningful? And Mm -hmm. when I figure it out that what would be the most meaningful thing in the world to me would be to help women and especially moms feel more connected and alive. Um, then it was like, Oh, okay. Like how can I use the business to do that more importantly than anything else?
1: That's beautiful. It's almost, it's passion driven versus money driven. Exactly. Yes. Beautiful. So what are you currently um, doing?
0: So now, um, and the YouTube channel is the first step in this, but really I'm trying to create a whole lifestyle brand and resource for women where they can go and figure out ways of getting together with other women more often, not just other women, but other families, other people, and connecting and building their own villages of support, finding their own tribe in life. Um, And part of that is through wine, because I, I have personally found in my life that the love of food and love of wine lends to that really well. Um, But I think as it grows, so it's a YouTube channel where I have videos that come out once a week, every Thursday, and every Thursday you can get what is meant to be just a really helpful tip. I don't spend a lot of time waxing poetic about, you know, um, specific rules about wines or, you know, this is how you read um, this esoteric label or whatever it is, I try Mm -hmm. to stay really focused on like, okay, what's helpful for people? What will help them enjoy their wine more? What will give them more confidence? So they don't feel like, Oh, you know, wine and food and all of that is supposed to be about enjoyment. And as you said, like, you know, celebration and bringing, um, presence to your, to your life. But if the process of buying wine and thinking about it is stressful it doesn't really help it. It doesn't really, um, fill that mission. So I thought, okay, that's kind of the first step is we need to turn that around and give people more confidence with it and make the process fun too. So I do things like boxed Mm -hmm. wine because nowadays you can find really good boxed wine. So I got to talk about things like that. Um, and then I'm starting to layer in other things like, okay, I did a video recently that's not up yet about, um, wines for back to school. And then I thought, oh, okay, I can probably also give people other tips about back to school. like How do you stay centered and grounded and focused on your goals during back to school? Um, And so I think you'll slowly start to see like other tools for having that connection in your life, having more presence in your life um, start to come up in the YouTube channel also. And then from there, it'll be all about creating all the tools and products that'll help Help people do that more.
1: I think that is so beautiful. And having a tribe and a community is absolutely vital. And I know as soon as I start to sip a little bit of wine, like, you know, the floodgates open, and I'm 100%, you know, transparent and, you know, mildly philosophical.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, and your videos, I think are so informative and interesting and fun to watch and, and you keep them in a, like a tangible digestible uh, amount of time. And when I was, you know, cyber stalking you <laughs> I, <laughs> in the healthiest of ways, um, I learned a few things that I, I never thought of before. Like you, you had one uh, video that was talking about decanting wine and, and and what decanting is, and then show this beautiful hand blown decanter. But then also said if someone doesn't have a decanter, they can, you know, uh, pour the wine into one bottle and then back into the original bottle to to aerate the wine a little bit. And I thought, wow, that's that's so practical and helpful. And then another one, which I wish I had about four years ago on a girls' trip, mm. um, when the wine cork broke and like what to do. So <laughs> exactly. <laughs>
0: Yeah. these are the things that very, come very up useful. in life right yeah. And yeah. yes exactly you you get me totally because it's just about how do I make it easier for you what is actually useful information for you versus things that are going to scare you and t- intimidate you and make you feel like oh I don't know enough
1: right so if you could give um like uh, someone uh, just like you what I guess, how do I want to phrase this? What is your like number one tip for someone who is new to why? What would you say to them?
0: Uh Uh-huh. You know, it's similar to what I would say to somebody starting their own business too. It's so interesting that you asked that Mm. it is. It's not about figuring out what's good or bad. I think that's the way people always think about it. Like, okay, I've got to figure out what's good wine or what's the good way to serve wine or good glasses or all that. It's about figuring out what you like. Mm. I tell people all this all the time. I've been doing um, small group wine tastings in my home for about 20 years now where I get together a group of like 10 to 12 people and like six wines and we all taste them. And sometimes it's experts. Sometimes it's laymen. Sometimes it's all sorts of people. And at the end, my final question before I tell anybody the prices is always, which wine did you like? Which wine didn't Mm -hmm. you like? And the thing I've learned is that there is never agreement. There's always a wine that one person loves and the other person doesn't. So if you're always trying to figure out like what's good wine and how do I learn what is good wine, you're going to miss out on the best part, which is what do you like? Right. So you just got to figure that out.
1: Yeah. So it's about experimenting because you don't know until you try something.
0: Exactly. Right? So you got to go out and taste a lot. Of, that's your homework. Go out and taste a <laughs> ton of wine, <laughs> figure out what you like. And then um, actually I'm creating a set of tools to help you. Once you figure out which wines you like, I can help you see what the similarities are, which then you can be able to use to go out and buy more wines that you like.
1: Oh, that is so beautiful and would be so useful. I'm excited for this. <laughs> good,
0: good. Coming soon. You, you can be one of wine my uh, w- testers. Oh, I, I,
1: sign me up. I'm 100% dedicated. <laughs> <Awesome>. <laughs> now that I'm back on the wine wagon.
0: Awesome.
1: <laughs> um, I have to thank you. Uh, it, it, just going back to the YouTube videos, um, I uh, saw your video about the, uh, the Rosé Mansion in Manhattan. Oh, yeah. And I... I am so excited! I'm going to be in New York in um, in September, and for celebrating my birthday with friends. And awesome. I was trying to come up with something fun to do, and this is going to be perfect. I'm so glad. So thank you. I am so
0: happy to hear that because, first of all, happy birthday in advance. But, um, I was thrilled and this is the type of thing where normally in the wine business, every event they do, every festival you do, you always go. And it's really, I don't know if you want to call it geeky or whatever, but aside from drinking the wine, which is always fun, there's always like a big focus on like trying to teach you the proper way to do this and proper way to do that. And when I discovered this Rose mansion in Manhattan, I was like, Oh, these guys totally got it right because it's just all about fun. It's like, you know, an amusement park or carnival or whatever. Just like they, it's almost like secondary that it's about wine. It's just really about mm. fun. Go have fun, especially with friends or a group or whatever it is. You'll get to taste a bunch of wines and you're just you're going to have the best time. That's so awesome. I'm glad you're going.
1: Yeah. It, look, it looks very playful. And, uh, I know in person, Personal moments of stress associated with wine have been okay. When the server brings the bottle over, shows me the label, and then pours the glass to taste before you know proceeding with the filling up my entire glass. <laughs> that to me is always the most awkward moment. Even though I know how to properly, uh, you know, taste the wine and, and know the this I'll call it the ceremony yes. of the presentation of the wine. But I notice and I observe everybody else when this happens to them and. They, everyone just looks stressed. So how can we deal with that associated stress or remove the stress from that moment?
0: <laughs> so I have a video on this, first of all, is you know oh. the three <laughs> steps of how to taste wine when you're in a restaurant, when you're poured that taste, but I'll tell you that... Um, the the server or the sommelier, because I've been in that position of pouring the taste for it, somebody. And I think one of the best ways you can let yourself off the hook is to know that they are not judging you in that moment. In fact, especially when you're the person who recommended the wine, but even if not, because, you know, as a sommelier, it's your wine list. You chose those Uh, like we're actually crossing our fingers and just hoping you like the wine. So I think a lot of times people think, oh, the server's standing there and they want to see that I know what I'm doing or this or that, they're judging me. No, Mm -hmm. don't worry. Really, all they're praying is that you're just going to like the wine and you're going to enjoy your experience.
1: Oh, what a fascinating bit of insight. I never would have thought that. I'm like, like, yeah, they think I'm a complete
0: baboon. (laughs) No, no. So it kind of goes back to what I said before about like, okay, taste it and see like, hey, is this going to be good? Is this going to be good for my dining guests that I'm with? Are we going to enjoy this? Is this what we want?
1: Magnificent. Well, on that same token, um, Dini, only once have I sent a bottle back. He said, "No, I, I don't want this." What is your professional opinion on on saying I, I don't like this. I'm sorry that you opened it. We we don't want
0: it. <laughs> right. So, and I go over this in the video, but technically when someone's pouring you a taste of the wine, Um, the reason why they pour you a taste is not to see whether or not you like the wine, but technically Mm -hmm. it's in order to make sure that that wine doesn't have a defect to it because some Mm. wines, especially wines with um, natural cork, the cork gets something called cork taint or um, TCA, but you don't need to know that technical stuff, but it basically makes the whole wine smell like a wet dog or like cardboard. Mm. Mm -hmm. And that, if you got another bottle of the wine that didn't have that defect, you would actually really like that bottle. So it's kind of tasting it to see whether or not it's sound or whether it's okay. But I will Mm -hmm. say that especially if the server or the sommelier recommended the wine and you don't like it or even otherwise, it's important to to communicate that with them and be like, you know what? This is not what I was expecting. This is not what I thought it was going to be. I really, I, I don't love it. And A good, you know, server will try and work with you to help you find something you would like. But I think it's important to communicate specifically what it is to say, okay, I think there's something wrong with this bottle because in that case, they're just going to bring you out another bottle of the same thing. Mm -hmm. So if it's truly that you just don't like the wine, there's nothing wrong with the wine, Mm -hmm. communicate that because otherwise you're just going to get another bottle of the same thing and that doesn't really help you.
1: (laughs) No, no. Well, at that moment, I was so embarrassed because I, oh, I like I said, I'd never sent back a bottle before, and it was uh, maybe it had the cork taint or something. Yeah. I'm not. I don't remember. If this was, uh, I don't know, a year ago or so, and but I, I just had never experienced anything like that. So I'm, I appreciate your. Your viewpoint and your feedback because that's
0: very helpful. <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with sending those bottles back because actually the restaurant doesn't usually lose money on them even they go back and they send it back to their distributor who credits them and everything like that. So you know, there's there's nothing oh, right. to worry about in those situations.
1: That's wonderful. And if you're not sure, just
0: ask them because they've probably tasted it before so they could tell you.
1: Yeah, that's that's really sound advice and I will keep that in mind moving forward. <laughs> So with you wanting to create um, what it sounds like a a community for women to come together and, you know, to just connect, how do you see that community growing?
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I think part of the way is through people searching for tools like that. And so they might find my YouTube videos or they might find my Instagram account or my Facebook, things like that. But I'm also doing a lot of events. So um, this fall, I'm participating in a big wine festival here in Brooklyn, but it's also going to be in Stamford, Connecticut and places like that. So that I can do outreach and just meet more women out there um, and more people who are interested in these tools and connecting and learning more about hosting and bringing people together themselves. And then the other thing, and I'd love to even get your opinion about this, because this is all in the ideation and formation stage, but I want to create Wine tastings, because I think to me a wine tasting is kind of like a book club or other things. You can host them very easily, only there's not the pressure to have read the book in advance. <laughs> <laughs> so um is okay, if I can get women who would like to be, you know, people who are comfortable hosting like you and get mm-hmm. them to do little gatherings in their home, there might be tools that I would be able to, you know, Skype in or join them by video or give them a pre-recorded video or something like that to be able to guide them and help them. Um so these are all the tools that I'm thinking about, oh like God. how do I help more people in your home? How do I do more outreach?
1: I absolutely love that idea, um, and if you need someone to do beta testing, sign me up. Awesome. <laughs> but definitely, I think that there would be a certainly value in, in having you being like the digital host for the group, and um, it would help grow a community pretty quickly, in my opinion, and take away a little bit of that um, associated fear, perhaps, with, with hosting or, t- or talking about the wines if you're not um, an expert. Like I'm not an expert. I can talk to you about wine, but uh, I'm not somebody to really describe the notes or anything. I'm like, well, I just like this or I don't like that. Um, yeah. So I'm pretty sure that there's definitely value in um, in having mm-hmm. tasting with you hosting somehow. Whether it's you know like you said a recorded video or or, or skyping, FaceTiming in it sounds amazing. Yeah,
0: and I, it's so funny because what I'm finding that is quickly becoming like my niche is that. I know enough to tell you what you don't need to worry about Ah. (laughs) because it's funny as you say like, Oh, I don't know if I know enough to know all that. And it's like, well, you know, even though I know a lot, um, in 20 years of studying wine and, and doing it for so much, but a lot of what I spend my time doing is just reassuring people that like, no, it's okay, that that really doesn't matter. You don't have to worry about that, or this doesn't matter. And whenever things really do matter, um, where there are things that are important, like I think the temperature of your wine is an important one or things like that, then I'll let you know that too. So you don't have to waste your time with a lot of things just to be, you know, hoity toity, whatever, but you can just focus mm-hmm. on things that actually help make the wine taste better, help your event and help you focus on the people. You don't want to be worrying about like polishing glasses and all that kind of stuff. Or if a cork breaks, you want to just be focused on like, how can I spend time with the people that are here?
1: Oh, that is so beautiful. I love that. <laughs> I really do. Well, it. With these events that you have coming up and having, you know, being a wife and a mother and having your YouTube channel, how are you um, maintaining some form of equilibrium and not allowing for yourself to kind of run out of gas, so to speak?
0: Oh, this is such a good one. Um, (laughs) Because... I have to walk the walk that I'm trying to help other people do. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. if there's any test kitchen or whatever, it is definitely that of my life because um, it's really easy when you're trying to start a business and be a mom and do a lot of the things that I am in my life for me to isolate and not see my friends and not connect with people So there are a couple kind of institutions that we put up and this goes back to the rituals you were asking about before. One of our um, commitments is to do family dinner, not every night of the week, but at least on Sundays. Um, And we do, we end up doing it, I would say maybe five nights a week. Now that we've um, put it in as a habit, it's a lot easier to do more often even. And We make sure that we're just going to have people over and connect with them. And to do that, we have to give up a lot of our standard or a lot of my standards of perfection that I used to have Mm. about like the house has to be perfectly clean or I have to make everything from scratch or I have to have a very fancy meal or fancy wine or any of that. I have to give up all of that just in favor of like, you know, it is actually more important for me to connect with other people, to connect with our Fam, or family and our friends than it is to have some ridiculous standard of perfection. So I'd say that's oh. one of the ways <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I'm avoiding burnout. And then the other thing I was just going to share in case it's helpful to your listeners um, is that when... It's, you know, knowing yourself and knowing that you're heading towards burnout or you're heading towards this point where you feel like, what's it all for? Why am I doing all this? Mm -hmm. Um, A friend of mine, my friend Karen, had recommended one day that I take a walk through a cemetery. Oh. And it was one of the most profound days of my life because Mm -hmm. here I am feeling like sorry for myself, feeling misdirected, feeling burnt out and all this kind of stuff. And I'm walking around and I'm like, oh. Well, yeah. So life is only so long. (laughs) And for me, anyways, just being outside in fresh air and nature helps me connect with myself and helps Mm -hmm. me reconnect with my vision. But especially being there in the cemetery, it was really defining of like, I can spend my life worrying about what I'm not doing or, you know, draining myself and all that. Or I can use what precious moments we have and really do something important and stay focused on that. And in order to do that, I've got to fuel myself. I've got to take care of myself, you know, and
1: that that is so beautiful.
0: (laughs) It became very clear to me that day. So that I just want to pass along that tidbit of if you're ever really feeling down in the dumps, it can be Mm -hmm. a good wake up call.
1: Oh, um, I, am going to definitely use that tool. (laughs) my down days. And I, I sometimes think it's kind of a morbid in a way, but what do I want my obituary mm-hmm. to say? And, you know, I've done like little rough drafts of it sort of, and that helps me stay focused and positive about what I'm doing. And also to maintain momentum, even when I'm a little bit tired and I don't feel like driving anymore.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. Exactly.
1: Well, as far as, you know, like cultural norms, grow, were your parents, your parents were born in India and then moved mm-hmm. to the state, right? Is that right? Yes,
0: they do. Okay.
1: So how, I mean, do you feel like you fit like some form of a, a cultural norm <laughs> for like Your family, your gender, like being an American, like how do you define yourself
0: culturally? (laughs) That's so funny because, yeah, I mean, clearly in some ways I do because family is really important to me. Gathering and eating is really important to me, which is very Indian. But you won't find many uh, people in the wine industry who are Indian. That's for sure. I think there are a few number of us Um, and just, the concept of drinking wine and all that was very new to my family. Like certainly nobody else in my family, in my ancestors or any of that, I think even drank alcohol. So it's a little bit of a new (laughs) thing, (laughs) but I have to give a lot of credit to my parents because I think certainly it wasn't their dream for me of what I would be doing, but they've been very supportive of me all along the way. And they've kind of, I think figure it out at this point that I'm stubborn enough where I'm going <laughs> to just go after my passions anyway. So um, they've been very supportive and helpful to me. And there's a part in there. So you were asking about gender too, right? Mm-hmm. Kind of right. The question, right? The, there's a part about the gender which is really interesting because <clears throat> going to business school, being at Harvard Business School, being in the wine industry there, especially when I started, we're not a lot of women there. It's almost all men. Mm -hmm. And so there's a part where it's very different to bring in a woman's perspective. And there's a lot of times where you almost think to yourself, like, am I crazy? Because Mm -hmm. I see this, but nobody else does. And they all kind of poo poo it. So maybe it's not important. Maybe it's not important to like bring women together, talk about wine in different terms and all that kind of stuff. Um, So I think that's a very common thing women face in general is like the world hasn't yet gotten to a point where it really values our wisdom and our perspective a lot of times. Um, So it's just been a matter of like figuring out and this is where, you know, now I'm 40 years old and it took me until I'm 40 to figure out like, oh, I'm not the crazy one. I may have a different perspective, but there's something really valuable in this.
1: Oh, a a female's intuition, um, I think is one of the most powerful tools in the whole world. And we need to tap into that Mm -hmm. more, which, um, I had a, I was yesterday was a social day for me and so uh yeah I had lots of wine last night with my friend but m- during midday I was on the beach with a girlfriend and we were talking about how neither of us really drink a whole lot not like we used to and um she'll probably kill me for saying this but <laughs> <laughs> she said you know sometimes when I drink um just you know just a little bit I feel as if there's these portals that open up that help me better understand myself the universe and what's going on I don't know and I'm like, that's food for thought for me. I really have to think on it and drink on it, I suppose. But I'm just wondering, mm-hmm. like, do you feel as if there's some sort of spiritual experience associated with 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 the wine or that's with so the spirit?
0: interesting. You know, I don't know if personally I call it um, spiritual, but I know what she's saying in that, and I just might have different words for describing that experience. But for me, it's like, There's our super intellectual cognitive side of our brain, Mm. which, you know, I've been trained all my life to listen to and think that that is me and that's all there is. And sometimes when we're able to have those moments, whether through meditation or wine or, you know, different experiences in life, I feel like we're able to quiet that enough to experience um, other parts of ourselves and other like possibilities within the world and each other. Mm-hmm. So I, mm-hmm. I really get that. And I, I do experience that a lot. And um, it takes some guts and some bravery to be able to let go of our normal thought patterns, I think, to do that. But oh, wine definitely. helps. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I certainly think it does. But I, like I said, I need to drink on it more. <laughs> <laughs> well, as far as if you could go back and – um, let's say, you know, you said when you were 17 years old, you told your mom that you were going to work in the wine industry. If you could transport yourself now back to your 17 year old self, what would, what would you say?
0: <laughs> I would tell my 17 year old self that everybody else does not have it figured out either. Ah, <laughs> I think <laughs> this is, this is part of growing up in Indian culture, um, because there's part of me that is very Indian Which is we're really taught to respect authority and believe what other people, especially your elders or people more experienced or whatever, tell you. And there's a good aspect to that. But I think that for a lot of my life, I always thought other people knew better. And that's why, you know, as I was starting these businesses or whatever, I would just take direction from somebody else and I would be a really good worker bee and I'd go out and execute their vision or whatever it is that they said that they told me. And that is not the path of what I would call a successful entrepreneur or even person in life that like, that's fine. And you might create for yourself a great life that somebody else would want to live. Um, but you're not really going to be living a life that's just for you. Um, and you're not going to be able to create something truly original, um, and therefore maybe really valuable and meaningful in the world as you would, if you were just willing to say that, you know what, maybe there's something that I've learned or something that I know that is unique and that is valuable and important.
1: That is so beautiful. And I'm finding it, to be very helpful, to be an entrepreneur. And um, yes, I'm taking courses and I've like s- seek the wisdom of others who've gone down this path before me. But what I'm loving most about it is that it's allowing me to be authentically myself or who I believe myself to be in this present stage of my life. And um, I, it's, it's rewarding in that sense mm-hmm. to just be yourself. Um, and, and work on your own vision. And I'm curious, With we talked about how your vision has sort of changed throughout time, but how are you um, you know, allowing your children to kind of live and be their authentic selves?
0: <laughs> this is the most difficult thing, uh, the most difficult challenge that anyone could ever have, but definitely for me, because I am... I want to control everything. I want to control their experience. I want to make sure they end up successful. I want to make sure they end up safe and happy and all that. Um, so there's a huge tendency of, I just want to tell them all the answers and I want to tell them every way. But as you say, discovering their own authentic selves and their life and their path has to be internally driven. So, um, I spend a lot of time trying to, uh, you know, sit on my hands, sit on my opinions and let them do a lot more discovery and ask them a lot more questions than I do spend telling them what to do. Um, and that way I'm even at this young age, hoping that they'll be able to learn from their own mistakes, that they'll be able to learn things for themselves. And it's really hard, especially I'll tell you one of the things I don't do is I don't force them to share their toys. Um, and if you go out on the playground or if you go out on playdates and other parents and stuff, this is really unpopular because most parents will tell their kids like, no, you have to share that. And they kind of expect you to do the same. And it's not Mm -hmm. that I don't want my kids to share. I want them to share, but I'm trying to help them learn that for themselves. And if I'm always telling them that I don't, I fear that they won't actually be able to learn it for themselves. So this has been, um, it's been really difficult for me because I, I feel like, oh, other parents are judging me in some ways for it. But um, I've decided I think it's the most important thing so that one day they can really appreciate and know internally the importance of something like sharing or being kind to others because they've developed it themselves. They're not just listening to what their mom told them.
1: I guess two more questions for you, Dini. And one of them is when you're like, you know, on your road trip of life, what do you see like your, if Deanie had a roadside attraction, like what would that roadside attraction, your legacy, so to speak, be for your life?
0: Have I really helped people connect so that they feel more connected to themselves, to their vision, their values, to other people? have I done that? Have I left that legacy of impacting even one more person in the world? Like that's what I would hope.
1: Mm, That's beautiful. You've definitely impacted me. (laughs) So thank you very much. And um, as far as what you're up to, what you're tooting your horn about, what are some things that you'd like to leave um, our listeners uh, with?
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm tooting my own horn about finally starting Dean Vito. Uh, I started a version of it back in 2007. So I feel really proud that now I'm willing to come back to it and push full steam ahead, um, even when I doubt myself, as I think all of us do. So that would really be... um, Something that I hope I would be able to inspire some of your listeners and, or even just relate to them about how hard that is. Mm -hmm. Because I think that, you know, you, you had written one of the questions that I was thinking about, which is like, how do you face challenges? Mm. And one of the things that I always come back to is like, if I look at the challenge as like live or die based on the results of that challenge. I kind of get paralyzed by that. I don't know about you. <laughs> oh. It's really scary, and sometimes then I like I'll either find a way of avoiding that challenge, or I just won't go into it with as much confidence as I could. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, especially as women, we don't give ourselves enough credit for taking on the challenge.
1: Oh, it, definitely not.
0: Right? Like even in going after the challenge and being willing to face it head on, like there's so much bravery in that. And if I focus on that bravery of taking on the challenge, I find that I can give myself the fuel to keep going and to give it my best and to actually have fun along the way.
1: Right. Well, I believe in our culture, there's uh, there's a bit of shame perhaps associated with failure. So everyone's afraid to try because they're afraid to afraid to fail and I'm currently taking this uh, entrepreneurial boot camp through MIT right now. And the very awesome. first webinar I watched, they um you know showed this this chart and essentially, do you want to you want your business to, to grow at a rapid rate or you know it's like a slow, slow growth or fail quickly. And the the ultimate point of the video was, you know, grow fast or fail quickly and take what you learn during your failure and apply that to your next venture. And I know in my personal and my business life, the more I challenge myself, the more resilient I become. And what I struggle with is recognizing that, just attempting it, like you said, going after whatever the challenge may be, Mm -hmm. is a success. Just going for that and reflecting back on the progress that's made. I don't know that women mm. give ourselves enough credit and celebrate our little micro victories.
0: I love that.
1: So yep. yeah, maybe through your, your wine tastings that are, are to, to come your digital wine tastings, we can, <laughs> you know, and top, touch on those topics that are, that are important, mm-hmm. um, that, you know, and celebrate, the, the humans in the room and all of their, their micro braveries.
0: That is awesome. That's beautiful. I love it. Well, <laughs> we'll have to have a line called liquid courage.
1: Oh, that would be amazing. <laughs> well, uh, Dini, thank you so much for sharing your time today. Um, would you please just let everyone know where they can find you? And I will of course link in the podcast show notes.
0: Yes. So, um, YouTube, that's kind of the primary place you're going to get all of my content that we've talked about. So that's youtube.com slash C for channel and then slash Dini Vino. And then you can find me on Instagram is Dini Vino Graham. And then on Twitter is Dini Vino and on Facebook book also, you can look for Dini Vino. So, in lots of places and hopefully soon you'll be able to get some of these products and videos and things like that. And we could even see each other face to face.
1: Magnificent. Well, Dini Rao, thank you so much for sharing your time, your wisdom, your story. Um, I am very inspired by you and I hope to see you soon.
0: Likewise. Thank you so much. This has been great. Thank you, Cynthia.
1: You're welcome. Thanks for listening to Her Drive with Cindy Kramblatt. If you want to know more about today's guest or know a fascinating woman you'd love for me to interview, please see the show notes, visit Instagram or her-drive.com. And please, 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 if you love the show, leave a review on iTunes. Thanks for riding along and subscribe to join our next woman and Her Drive to success.